Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh McQuaid. I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, We're coming to the end of a chapter that we've been in for a few weeks. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 58. So those are printed for you in the bulletin, or you can look those up in uh, your own Bible or the Bible that you can steal from your neighbor um, if you want to do that. If you want to turn there, that would be great. Uh, While you're looking that up, let me just say it's really great to have you all with us today. Uh, It's a little cooler than it was last week, but we have a little bit more wildlife inside than than last week. Uh, But thank you for being with us. We know that there are, like every week, there are a million different places you could be. So you could be, uh, like I was yesterday, driving back from a really quick whirlwind trip uh, to Virginia to see your grandparents. Uh, And if you know anything about my recent car reliability uh, issues, you know, yesterday there were some real moments where I wondered if I would be here with you. Um, But anyway, I made it and I'm I'm glad to be here. Um, Or, you know, you could be out getting brunch at that new-ish, I don't know if it's new anymore, but new-ish restaurant that's really great called Potchkey's. You could just be ordering one of everything there because it's all worth you getting. Or, you know, you could be just at home recouping after the really great soccer game last night with the, uh, the our One Knox soccer club uh, who had inaugurated their existence, I guess you could say, last night. But anyway, uh, you're not doing any of those things. You're here with us. So thank you for being with us. We really do know that as great as uh, trips out of town are, as great as brunch is, as great as soccer games are, there's nothing better for you to do than to be here uh, listening to Jesus, worshiping him, and thinking about uh, the life that he invites you into. So thank you for being with us here at Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbors. Uh, And so what we believe most fundamentally is that Jesus is God. Jesus came into the world to show us who God is, to make himself known, to die for us, and as we've been thinking about in these weeks, to raise from the dead as well. And so what we do as his people is we come here every week so that we can rest in the love and the life that Jesus has made known to us. And then we go out from here and we go to brunch together. We get great pastrami sandwiches together uh, at Potchkey's. We uh, go to soccer games together. We do all kinds of great things together. But we read the Bible and we pray together so that we can be reminding one another all throughout the week of who Jesus is and of his life and of his love that he's made known to us. Uh, And then we turn in service to our city and to our world so that we can reflect this love of Jesus to our friends and neighbors here in Urban University Knoxville and hopefully also to the ends of the earth. So that's who we are. We're a community of people trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbors as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect the love of Jesus here in Urban and University Knoxville. Uh, And so to help us in all of these things, during the season of Easter, we have been looking at this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 
16, this really uh, invites us to think about the resurrection of Jesus, but not just the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, It also invites us to think about how our lives are shaped and structured uh, by his resurrection. So we're going to come to the end of this chapter this morning. We're going to read verses uh, 35 through 58. It's a little bit long, um, so just, you know, get comfortable uh, and and bear with us. But it's really important. Uh, It's God's word. (laughs) There's nothing more important that we could do. So let's read this and then think about these things together. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. For there is a natural body, for if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed." For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word this morning, uh, surely some of this will strike us as really foreign and strange. Some of this will strike us, much of this will strike us uh, as things that are hard for us to believe. So Lord, we pray that you would open our ears. We pray that you would open our hearts. We pray that you'd open my mouth that you would help us to believe, and that you would change us by your spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've been with us for a few weeks, and you know that we've been in this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians all through the season of Easter, and like I just said, you know that this chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. Um, It's first about Jesus' resurrection, but then it gets into the implications for our own resurrections and for the implications for our own lives lives in light of Jesus' resurrection. Um, And if there's one thing that I hope you've taken away from these weeks that we've spent together in 1 Corinthians 15, it's this. It's really simple. The resurrection is really, really 
really, really important, right? It's really important. Um, it's so important that Paul would devote a whole chapter to it in this book, uh, and it's so important that we would spend all of these many weeks thinking about the resurrection because it's just so important. Um, but one of the things that you've probably also picked up as we've spent these weeks together is that uh, the resurrection has never been an easy thing for people to believe. Um, I mean, if you just think about, again, why this chapter is even in the Bible, uh, it's here because, as Paul says in verse 12, there were some people in Corinth who had said, there is no resurrection of the dead. Um, look what he says in verse 12, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And this is here because they were struggling to believe this. Uh, and then in our text today, he begins by saying, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Uh, you can kind of hear the skepticism that the Corinthians had. And so right from the very beginning of the church, this belief in the resurrection has been really hard for people to accept. But we can also see that right from the very beginning, Paul has said, and Christians have always said, this is really of first importance. This is foundational to us. So this is a hard belief, but it's a crucial belief. Uh, and you know, as of all the things that we as Christians believe, I think it's the resurrection that poses probably the biggest challenge uh, for non-Christians. Sometimes we think about these things as defeaters. What are the things that make it hard for people to believe uh, what the Bible says? Uh, and the resurrection is a big defeater for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to say that when Jesus calls you to love, and when Jesus calls you to serve, when Jesus calls you to forgive, it's one thing to say, I believe that, that sounds good. These things all sound good to us. Um, but it's something else entirely to say that the, the claim that Jesus got up out of the grave and rose again to say, yeah, I believe that. Um, and so this is one of those beliefs that many non-Christians look at us and they say, I could never believe that. And in fact, I don't know how you can believe that either. And so skepticism about the resurrection has dominated from the very beginning uh, of the Christian church, and it still dominates our world today. And I think this raises a really big question for those of us who are Christians, maybe two questions. The first one is, how is it that we believe this? How can we believe this when the world around us finds the resurrection completely implausible? And secondly, why in the world do we insist on the resurrection? If this is such a problem for our friends and for our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus, why don't we just abandon the resurrection and make it easier for people to come in and be with us? Well, there's a ton of different ways that we can answer those questions, as you can imagine. But the way that I want to address these questions this morning, because I think the way that Paul addresses them in this text, is to remind you of something that we say here all the time. But this text forces us to come back to it again, and it's this. That the Christian belief in the resurrection of our bodies is the answer to the deep longing inside of you for purpose and for hope. The Christian belief in the resurrection is the answer inside of you for this deep, deep longing that you have for purpose and for hope in life. So, shocker, we're gonna have two points today. Uh, we're gonna think, first of all, about how the resurrection of our bodies gives purpose to our lives today, and then we're gonna think about how the resurrection of our bodies gives hope to our lives today. Uh, it's a little bit misleading. We're probably gonna have three points, but anyway, you'll, you'll see. Uh, you can tell me at the end if I lied to you or not. Um, so to see how the resurrection of our bodies gives purpose and hope to our lives, I wanna take you back to the beginning of the passage that we had for today. So look at verse 35. Uh, I want us to pick up Paul's argument and just remember what he's done so far 
in this chapter, and then we'll pick him up in 35. So little little reminder, uh, at the very beginning of this chapter, Paul reminds us that the historic bodily resurrection of Jesus has always been core to the Christian confession. And in fact, he says further on that without the historic bodily resurrection of Jesus, you have no hope for forgiveness. You have no business hoping in forgiveness in this life or in the next. And then he goes on to say, too, that this, the story of the resurrection is actually just the continuation of the story that God started at the very beginning of the Bible, the story that began with Adam and Eve and in the garden, that just as God had created the world, so now in the resurrection, he's restoring creation through Jesus. And this means, as we were reminded last week, that we can now live as those who are confident that what we do with our bodies really, really matters. How we live with our lives now really matters because we are those who will rise again. So this is what he's done so far. And then when we come to verse 35, Paul is turning and he's now getting down to the real nuts and bolts of the resurrection. He's not just talking about the resurrection as an idea. He's now starting to talk about what shape does this take in our lives. And so the question comes to him, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, uh, one of the reasons that Paul has to ask this question, has to give an answer for it, is because the people in his day, just like we do, they struggled to believe in the resurrection. Um, but they didn't just struggle to the believe in the resurrection because of the reasons that we do. I mean, they knew, like we do, that dead bodies stay dead. This, everybody has always known this. Uh, but they had a unique challenge when it comes to the resurrection because for them, uh, the body was not something that you wanted to prolong your time in the body. Uh, the body for them was a dirty thing, and it was something that you looked forward to throwing off. You looked forward to being set free from your body so that you could get back to the way you were really supposed to be. The body was thought of as this prison or this tomb that kind of trapped the real you inside. Um, And so one person who I read this week put it this way. He talks about how the ancient philosopher Plato was really, really influential in this area and a lot of areas in life, but especially in this. And so he says this. He says, Plato believed that the essence of a human being was a soul, which was non-material, Bodily life, then, was full of delusion and danger. The soul was to be cultivated in the present, both for its own sake and because its future happiness would depend upon such cultivation. The soul, being immortal, existed before the body and would continue to exist after the body had gone. Okay, so it's a lot, and it's really old, and it's Plato. So here's what he said. Um, For Plato, bodily life was filled with delusion. You probably heard that as we went through. And so what he's saying is the the point of life is to tend not to your body, because you're going to throw your body off, but the point of life is to tend to your soul, to this immortal part of you. And so for Paul's audience, it wasn't just uh, what you and I might call the scientific fact that dead bodies stay dead, that made the resurrection really implausible. It was also that for them, from almost every conceivable angle, bodily resurrection was undesirable. It didn't not, it's not just that it didn't happen, it's that you didn't want it to happen. And so the question that comes to Paul that he's asking here, that he's trying to answer here is, okay, Paul, you who believe in a resurrection, if the resurrection is really so great, then what kind of body would possibly make it all worth that? This is crazy. Why would we want it? Tell us what that body is going to be like. Okay. So Paul's answer to this question is twofold. He wants us to see first that there's some real continuity. There's some real ways that the body that you have today and the body that you're going to have after your resurrection, there's some real ways that they stay the same. There's some real continuity between your pre-resurrection body and your post-resurrection body. But he also wants you to see that there are some real differences. 
there's some real changes that are going to take place between the body that you have today and the body that you're going to have after the resurrection. So there's, there's uh, continuity and there's change. Now, I can already see people are like, this is really theoretical. This is really dry. So let me just tell you this. It really matters that you hear his argument here because I can tell you what he says, but you won't believe me unless you see how he gets there. So hang with me for a few minutes. I'm going to show you how this uh, continuity and discontinuity, this continuity and change uh, work out, and then we'll get back to a point where we can talk about purpose and hope, okay? So what is this continuity? See, I told you there were really three points. Maybe it's four. Anyway, um, okay, so what is this continuity and what is this change all about? Well, Paul is utterly convinced that the body that you have now, what he calls your natural body in verse 44, uh, he is completely convinced that your natural body will be raised up again after your death. It's going to raise up out of the ground. He's completely convinced of this. And it's not going to be in some sort of ghostly, like, wispy, imaginary thing, right? Like, it's going to be a real body. He has in mind a real, solid, physical resurrection of your flesh such that there will be real continuity between the body that you have today and the body that you'll have after the resurrection. All right, so where do we see that? Well, look at verse 36. What Paul's going to do is he's going to take a really, really common metaphor. He's going to take this common image that's kind of from the farming, the agricultural world, and he's going to use this really common metaphor to explain the thing that feels really complicated to us. In verse 36, he says this, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. And so this is fairly simple. Uh, what he's saying here is what happens in the resurrection is a lot like what happens when you plant a seed in the ground. The apple seed goes into the ground and it dies. You bury it up, you water it, you tend to it. And then what happens? An apple tree comes up out of the ground. And the continuity is in the fact that when you plant an apple seed in the ground, you get the apple tree. Um, so we've probably got some alumni, we just had graduate recognition moment here. We've probably got some graduates of the Redeemer uh, Children's Ministry in here. So I need y'all's help, okay? So you probably know this. Uh, do apples grow on pear trees? No, apples don't grow on pear trees, right? There's no apples there. They only grow pears. Okay, yeah, we'll do it again. You'll get it better the second time. Okay, do bananas grow on plum trees? No, bananas don't grow on tr- plum trees. No nanas there Uh, No nanas come, they only grow plums. Okay, thank you guys. That was painful. I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) I thought it would work better. I thought the kids would really help me out, but they didn't. They left me hanging, kids. Um, But you see the point, right? You plant the seed in the ground, and what comes out? The tree that corresponds to that seed, right? Uh, And so there's this way, what Paul is saying is this, the thing that we see in nature is what's going to happen for us too. Our bodies go into the ground and then Jesus is going to raise our bodies up out of the ground. Okay, so there's, there's continuity, but where's the discontinuity? Well, we also see the discontinuity. We see the change uh, in what, uh, in this same imagery of the the seed analogy that Paul uses. Uh, So notice again that in that image, the seed isn't the same thing as the tree. They're connected. They're definitely related, but they're different. So look in verse 37. He says, what you sow is not the body that is to be, right? He's saying you don't take the apple tree and plant it in the ground. You plant the seed in the ground and then the apple tree comes out of it. And he's saying the, the, the tree and the seed are really different things, right? Like the tree produces fruit. The tree uh, grows leaves and it gives shade to you. It's doing something that the seed could never do. So it's very similar. They're coming from one another. They're, they correspond to each other. 
but they're really different as well. There's real change and transformation that happens. And so what he's saying is if I plant the seed in the ground and then I go back and dig it up and I dust it off and I clean it, that's not resurrection. Resurrection isn't just the seed coming back out of the ground as it went in. Resurrection is about the seed being transformed into something new. It's still consistent with the seed, still in many ways is the same as the seed, but it's something greater and it's something more beautiful than the seed ever was on its own. And so this is his point in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. All right, so what's his point? His point is that the resurrection is a resurrection of your real body. It's really a resurrection of your real body, but it's a transformation of your real body into something greater and more glorious. The resurrection of your body will be a transformation of all that is perishable and dishonorable and weak and natural into a body that is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Okay, there's one more thing that we have to see about what he's saying about the kind of bodies we have. Because I think it's really easy for that last word and that, that little sequence, the last word spiritual, can really throw us off. And it can make us think that Paul's saying the opposite of what he's actually saying. Um, because again, Paul's talking about a real body. He's talking about flesh. He's talking about a body that has real, real heft to it, real mass to it. Uh, but when we think about the word spiritual, we usually think of exactly the opposite of that. We think of something that has no body to it, no mass, no substance to it. So let me remind you again of what we saw with the ancient philosopher Plato uh, just a little while ago. Remember, Plato said that it was our souls that were immaterial, that were immortal, uh, and they were trapped inside our bodies that were to be thrown off. And so for Plato, at death, our souls are liberated from our bodies. Remember this? Well, the word that Paul uses to talk about our natural body here in this text is really closely related to the word that Plato uses to talk about the human soul. And so what Paul is doing, what he seems to be doing in this text, is he's doing this really intricate, careful, nuanced play on words that he really wants, that his readers would have picked up and gets lost on us in translation. What he's saying is, your natural body is soulish. It's a body that gets its life, it gets all of its power and all of its limitations from the soul that God gave you. And what he's doing is he's playing that over against your resurrected body, which unlike your natural body, your soulish body, is going to get all of its power, it's going to get all of its life, it's going to get all of the glory and all of the limitations that come from the life that the Spirit of God gives you. Right, so he's saying, when he says that you're going to have a spiritual body, he's not saying that you won't have a body that has real substance to it. He is saying you're going to have a new kind of life that now comes from the Spirit of God. Right, and so this is all really great news. Let me just give you uh, one little example of why I think this is great. Um, this weekend, I spent uh, a couple days with my grandparents, who my grandmother is 90, my grandfather is 92. And for my whole lives, I've told you all about my grandma. Uh, she tackles cows. She uh, does unbelievable things. Both of these people, my grandmother and my grandfather, have both been uh, towering people in my life, both in my imagination and these stories that I, I believe of them, uh, but also just physically. They've done amazing things. But one of the things that's really sad about getting older is you start to get weaker and your bodies slow down and you get to a point where you need help to stand up. 
uh, and you need uh, help sitting down and just moving around the world. Um, and even for myself, I sat in a car for 12 hours over the last two days, and I hurt in ways <laughs> that I didn't used to hurt, right? Um, so the point is, our soulish bodies, they grow tired, and they, they grow weaker, and they start to return to dust. But the promise of the resurrection is that for all of us who are united to Jesus, he will raise us up out of the dust. He will give us new, transformed, spirit-filled bodies. So this is really great news for us. Okay, so recap. At the resurrection, our bodies, real bodies, will be raised up, but they'll be transformed from weakness to power, from dishonor to glory, from perishable to imperishable, and we will begin to live fully by the power of the Spirit in our bodies. So now we can come back to our our big question. How does this promise give purpose? How does this promise give hope to our lives? Purpose first. Um, Let's think about this. If you believe that there's no resurrection, uh, if you believe that we just live and we die, and we go back into the ground, uh, and that's it. And if you believe that everyone will eventually die and the world will stop spinning, uh, then think about what that does to your sense of purpose in the world. Uh, If that's what you believe, then what does it really matter whether you live in this life as somebody who is kind, as someone who loves the people around you, uh, as somebody who protects the vulnerable around you? Why does that matter? more than if you live your life as a terrible person, (laughs) hating everyone around you, having no friends, uh, exploiting people, and being terrible in every sort of way. What's the difference? Like, what makes these things different? If in the end, you're going to be buried, and you're going to go into the ground, and you're just going to be consumed back into the world, and eventually the world's going to die. What does that matter? Um, Well, this week I've been listening to a new podcast that's called Questioning Christianity by Tim Keller, who some of you have probably heard of. Um, Keller is really great. This podcast is really great. I'd really recommend it wherever fine podcasts are found by you. Um, I'd encourage you to find it. But he was talking about these things, and he used this quote that I thought was really helpful. Uh, It's from a guy that I'd never heard of before, a playwright from the 20th century named uh, Somerset Maugham. And uh, he's a secular man, not a Christian, Um, and he said this. He said, if one puts aside the existence of God, and if you believe that survival after life is too doubtful, one has to begin to make up one's mind as to the meaning or use of your life. If death ends everything, if I have neither to hope for good nor to fear evil, I must ask myself, what am I here for? And how in these circumstances uh, should I conduct myself? And the answer is plain, but very unpalatable. There is no meaning for life, and life has no meaning. The answer, he says, is plain, but unpalatable. There's no meaning for life, and life has no meaning. Um, Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that if if I don't believe in a life after death, uh, if if all of this is is just all there is, what we see and what we can hold and what we can uh, feel, then why should I think that anything ultimately matters in life? Um, and it turns out that, that this guy, Somerset Mom, is by no means the first, uh, and he's by no means the only very, very smart person to say that if you don't believe in a life beyond the grave, uh, you have a real problem with finding purpose in life. Um, now, that's a little bit depressing. Maybe it's a lot depressing, but let me give you a word of encouragement. I don't think any of us actually agree with him. <laughs> I don't think any of us, if we're honest, uh, actually believe that Somerset Mom's uh, conviction is true, right? Because most of us know that our relationships that we have here, that they are really, truly significant. 
We know that the, the friendships that we have, the people that God has put in our lives, these things matter. Most of us know that it really matters uh, whether we care for the weak and the vulnerable in the world or whether we exploit the weak or the vulnerable. This is not a neutral proposition. This really matters, and we know it. Most of us want very much to be engaged in work that feels purposeful, and we get depressed when it feels like our work is meaningless. Um, And to put it gently for us, most of us, when we hear on the news about unbelievable evil, like we heard about yesterday in Buffalo, we're not unmoved by that. We find it deeply troubling because we know that what we do with our bodies, the way we live in our lives, these things really do matter. But what you find, if you accept the belief that the only thing that matters is what you can feel and weigh and smell and touch, uh, then what you find is that you have no reason to believe that any of these things matter. Uh, The things that seem to be significant, all of the apparent significance in your life, it's actually just a lie. But you don't believe that. Uh, And Paul says that you don't believe that because deep down you know that you were made not only to live and die in this soulish body, but you were made to be resurrected in a spiritual body. Look at how he he wraps up this whole chapter, how he ends in verse 58. He, He brings all of the things that he said about the resurrection down to a point, and he says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What's he saying? Well, he's saying you were made to live powerful and glorious and imperishably by the power of the Spirit of Jesus. And you weren't made to wait for that after the resurrection. You were made to have that life even now. Because just as God will raise you up by the power of his spirit at the last day, even now, his spirit is at work within you, causing you to be uh, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so he's calling us now to have present lives that are filled with the purpose of the resurrection. And somewhere deep down inside of you, you have this longing to know the purpose that you're here for the purpose that God made you for, the purpose that he's going to raise you from the dead for. And Paul is saying, this is why. Because God made you for himself. And he made you to be filled with his spirit. And until you give yourself to Jesus and find the spirit transforming your life, you're always going to feel a little lost. You're always going to feel a little purposeless because this is what God made you for. But somebody will be here and you'll say, okay, sure, uh, but I'm a Christian and I have given myself to Jesus, and it seems like the Spirit is at work in some parts of my life, and I still feel purposeless. Uh, What does Paul say to me? Um, Well, I think what Paul would say to you is, remember your resurrection. Don't forget that God will raise you up, that he really will transform you, and that even now his Spirit really is within you. I think what Paul would say to you is don't believe the lie that comes at you day after day after day that tells you that your real purpose is found somewhere out there. But if you just give yourself a little more to your work, uh, if you give yourself a little more to uh, trying to be a good person, if you just give yourself a little more to your family, uh, that your purpose will find you. Don't believe that lie because your purpose is found in your resurrection. What Paul would say to you is remember that God made you for himself, that you belong to him, 
that he will transform your body in the end. Remember that your resurrection is coming and be steadfast. Be immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the belief in the resurrection gives us a real purpose, I believe, uh, in our lives. But I think this sense of purpose that we have is also really closely tied to a sense of hope that the resurrection gives us. So let's think about this hope in these last couple minutes. Um, When it comes to the hope that the resurrection gives us, look back with me at verse 42, and we're going to look at 49. So we're going to look at two, two different places. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Uh, And then while we're we're looking down, let's also look at verse 49, where Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Um, We've read both of these verses already, so why are we going back to them again? Well, I want to point out to you here is the way that Paul is able to fully acknowledge the weakness of our bodies in these texts. We're sown perishable, We're sown dishonored. We're sown weak. We bear the image of the man of dust. And I find this incredibly remarkable. Here in a text about the resurrection, why is Paul talking so much about our weakness? Why is Paul talking so much about our our illness and our death and going down into the dust? Um, Because I I think for many of us, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, we spend most of our time trying to not ever think about these things. I don't want to think about my weakness. I don't want to think about my aching back. I don't want to think about uh, my family who are growing older. That makes me sad, and I try to push these things away. And I think uh, it's really telling that most of us, when we think about suffering, we think about weakness, we think about death, uh, we will even, we'll even resort to like the most absurd things to get our minds off of this because we'll just straight up deny that we're suffering, right? Uh, so if you're going through a really hard time and I come to you and I say, hey, how are you doing? You're going to say, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, it's, it's, it's all okay. You know, it's not as bad as it really is. We'll just lie and we'll deny it because we don't want to think about it. And so we'll resort to anything that we have. So when it comes to suffering, weakness, death, we deny, we ignore, we distract ourselves. We'll pretend that the problems of the world, the problems that are out there, they're not really my problems. Right? We'll do anything that we can to avoid thinking about the weakness of the world and the weakness of our bodies. But what is the resurrection of the dead? Uh, what does the resurrection of our bodies enable Paul to do? Think about this. It'll, it enables Paul to look at death and to look at weakness, to look at the fact that we bear the image of the man of dust, to look at these things with an unblinking, clear-eyed focus, and also to be filled with hope because he knows that, the, that death does not have the final word for those of us who are in Jesus. Last year, uh, the musician Natalie Bergman put out a record that was called Mercy um, that was no doubt my favorite album of 2021. Uh, and the backstory of this album, if you've heard it, you might already know this, but the backstory of this album is that in 2019, uh, Natalie's father was killed suddenly when he was hit by a, a, a drunk driver in a car accident. And so much of this album is Natalie wrestling with her grief and her sorrow over the loss of her father. And it's uh, beautiful, it's sad, you'll listen to it and you'll cry, but it's really, really beautiful. Uh, but there's this moment in the song, uh, Shine Your Light on Me, that I think really puts words to the hope that we have as Christians. It says this, like the morning dove, I cry for him. I cry for him. He was my greatest love. I cry for him. I cry for him. Sorrow in my chest, sorrow in my veins. Oh, the sorrow aches. Shine your light on me. 
heaven's all I need. Shine your everlasting light on me. Come on, shine your light on me, sweet Jesus. I bow my head in sorrow, hoping for sunshine tomorrow. I bow my head in sorrow. Jesus will lift you up. Jesus will lift you up. See, the resurrection gives us uh, the ability, it equips us with a power to move out into our work, uh, to move out uh, into all of our lives with our families, into all of our suffering with purpose. And the resurrection of our bodies gives us a hope that will carry us through the loss of a father, the loss of a spouse, the loss of our own bodies, because we know who we belong to. And we know that at the end, Jesus will raise us up, that he will speak to us and call us out of the dust on that last day. Um, You know, every week we gather around this table uh, and we eat this little meal. Um, And when we do this, we're being assured that we belong to Jesus. There's a lot of different things that we're being reminded of, but basically we're being reminded that we belong to Jesus. And because we belong to him, all of our living and all of our dying have this unbelievable purpose. They have great purpose and they have great hope. And so when we gather around this table, one of the things that we say, you hear it every week when we come around this table, we say, we're gonna do this until he comes again, right? We're gonna do this and we're gonna eat this meal, we're gonna eat this bread, we're gonna drink this cup until he comes again. Well, what are we saying with these words? We're saying that this is our hope. We're saying that just as Jesus died, And just as he rose, so he will raise us up to a new life. And until that day comes, we're going to be here. And we're going to be around this table. And we're going to be sharing bread. And we're going to be sharing wine. We're going to be looking at his word. We're going to be reminding one another. And he's going to be reminding us that we belong to him. And that he's going to raise us up in the last day. When he transforms our new bodies in that last day. (laughs) 